there is no telling what God will do if you believe. If you believe. And belief is a decision that we have. Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not. But just like Brother Mason spoke at the beginning of the service, whenever we put our words out into the air in front of us, do you realize that the Bible calls the enemy the prince of the power of the air? So whenever you speak life and you speak faith into his kingdom, you begin to rip apart every plan that he has. No matter how bad the situation is, no matter how strong the wall is, no matter how high the mountain is, you speak the word and understand that the spirit of God is living inside of us. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But he is inside of us. And the very voice that spoke the worlds into existence. You think he has a problem speaking a mountain out of existence? And whenever you speak faith and you speak the promises of God against the mountains in front of you, they will crumble. Either they will crumble or God will punch a hole through the middle of it for you to walk through one way or the other. Over, under, or through, God's going to put you on the other side of that mountain some way or another. And it's easy for us to feel that way and to feel that strength and that, mm, yeah, God's awesome whenever we're all here together. It's part of the strength that God gave us because whenever we're by ourselves, sometimes it's hard for us to be able to bring up that feeling of strength. But God said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together because sometimes the only way that we can feel that strength and that courage is whenever we're here together. So this morning, I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and I want you to smile real big. A real smile, not a fake smile. Todd Prince is in the back and he's smiling. He got a big smile. Now turn and look at the person on the other side of you and smile at them too. Here we are in this place together and this place is special. It's not because of the brick. Because Brother Clint Reynolds can tell you there's nothing really special about this brick. He's an expert. He can tell you. It's just brick. It's not the carpet. It's not the foundation. It's not the sound system. As great a job as Brother BL and his team do, it's not the sound system. As great a job as Sister Michael and her team do, it's not the media. It's not the video. It's not even because of you or me that this place is special because we're just normal people. A wise man once said, people are human. I won't, won't call his name, but his initials are Randy Briggs. We're just human. And it might sound odd, but it's not even because the presence of God is here that this place is special because God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at once. This place is special because God and you and I are here 
together. And our God loves a good get together. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Our God loves a good get together. And that's what we're going to talk about and what we're going to have in this place and what we've been having is a God-centered get-together. If you haven't felt the presence of God already in this place, then in my opinion, your feeler's broken. But that's okay because God can fix that too. He can fix anything. But what is a get-together? As a noun, it is defined as an informal gathering. As a verb, it is to gather or assemble socially or to cooperate. So certainly that is us today. Some of us may be in our Sunday best, but this is not an invitation only highfalutin party. It's for all of us. Revelations chapter 22 verse 17 says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. This isn't for a specific person or a specific group, group of people. It's for whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water that God gives. In the book of Genesis, God creates man from the dust of the earth with his very own hands. Everything else in creation, he speaks into existence. But whenever he gets to man, he got his holy hands dirty. And he formed man, formed us out of the ground with his very own hands. And then God and Adam walked together and talked together in the cool of the day. And we know that because after the fall, whenever God came to find Adam, to talk with him in the cool of the day, Adam was hidden. And so we know that this was a regular occurrence that God went down to earth to talk with Adam and he created man in part to have a being of free will that he could have a communication and a conversation with. And God recognized that it was not good for man to dwell alone, so he also made woman and prior to the creation of man, God had created the angels. So God creates and puts things not just in singularity, but together in groups. Because God loves a get-together. And we as humans enjoy the company of our friends. We get that desire and that nature from somewhere. And I don't just mean being around any people. Because some of us are not social beings. And large groups of people, especially those we don't know well, make us nervous. Being up here in front of you, as much as I love all of you, this makes me nervous. Because all of a sudden I'm up here and I'm responsible for bringing the word of the Lord. And y'all are expecting me to say something at least halfway intelligent. And it's nerve-wracking. But we love a get-together with those people that are close to our hearts our friends and our family that, that are really a close connection with us. We enjoy being around them, having a get-together with them. And we've been talking all of this year about how much we need each other, and that's very true. But God did not just create the bonds of friendship to fulfill a need or a requirement for growth. 
God also created friendship and relationship for our enjoyment and for our benefit. Because you think about it, the Lord created man and God didn't need man. He didn't create man to fulfill a need. He wanted somebody that had a free will that he could have a conversation with and that would choose to talk to him. He wanted friendship. And so we have that same want and he doesn't just make friendship something that we have to have to survive. It is that, but it's also something we get to enjoy. When Jesus began his ministry, he called disciples. And there were many, many who followed him, but there were 12 that he kept the closest. They ate together, they traveled together, they were his students and his disciples, but they were also his friends. And God doesn't just want servantship or discipleship from us, he also wants friendship. James chapter 2 and verse 23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. That's a song we sing sometimes. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Friend. Not just servant. Not, not just preacher. Not just teacher. Not just usher. Not just hostess. Not just prayer warrior. Friend. Because your friends, you can have your friends over to your house without needing anything from them. You just want to have a get-together. And God calls us in addition to being, we are his servants. We are his followers. We are those that do his will. But he also calls us friend of God. That phrase is in the Bible. It's not just a random song, but it's a label that God himself put on someone who drew close to him. And you and I can strive for the same thing. Not just a servant or a minister, but to be a friend of God. Friendship, companionship, and intimacy are threaded all throughout the fabric of the scripture. And not just the intimacy like a man and a, and a wife, but the intimacy of close friendship, of those that share your heartbeat, that you can share your troubles with, and you can cast your cares on them, and they will help carry you through the process. That type of relationship is threaded all through the Bible and that's not just a friendship of a need or of a servant. Those times you're having an evening or a day with your closest companions and you stop and you look around and you think, wow, I am truly blessed. These people are awesome. These are truly my friends. We many times have talked about not being able to witness to others in a one-on-one -on -one situation until we've built up a relationship or a friendship with them. Those who are married or heading in that direction or recently married. Congratulations to both of you, by the way. We, we don't just find a random person on the street one day like, hey, my name's Keith Maxwell. You want to get married? It doesn't work that way. Some people might try it, but I promise you that's going to be a difficult relationship. Generally speaking, there has to be an acquaintance and then a relationship and then a friendship. And then it becomes something more. 
so then shouldn't our relationship with God be the same? Remember, he called us, not just ordered us, he called us. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Some of us are very peculiar. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has called us. And you could say, yes, but that called is kind of a wide net. I might be in there, but I'm just one of many people in the world. And so, yeah, he called people and maybe he scooped me up in the net. But it's not really just me. But God goes deeper. Not just those that feel the tug, but all those that follow him. The book of John chapter 15 and verse 15 says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for servants know, knoweth not what his master, what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. I didn't keep secrets from you. I told you everything. And you could even stay, say still, yes, but there are a lot of followers of Christ. And he calls us as a group, friends, with an S. So even still, really just one of many. But in the Old Testament, to the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 1 and 5, he said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Before God formed you in your mother's womb, he knew what you would be because he made you. Before you came into this world, he sanctified you for his purpose, whatever that purpose was. And we know Acts chapter 10 and verse 34 then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. That means he doesn't count Scott more important than me. He looks at us the same. We are the same in the eyes of God. No respecter of persons. So what he did for Jeremiah, he does for me. He does for you. He does for all of us. We are each of us a part of the bride and the groom has a desire to have relationship with us. Not even just on a corporate setting, but one-on-one, -on -one, he desires to have relationship with us. Not, just us. not just him giving us instructions and us giving him requests, but conversation. And so in this vein... And in the path that God has been walking us through since the first of the year, I want to step back into 2020. Just before we started the pandemic and all of the craziness that went along with it, in January of 2020, God gave me this word. And I don't even remember if I preached it or if God just gave it to me. The last time I edited the notes from that was on a Sunday. January the 5th, 2020 was a Sunday. But I look back on our Facebook and we hadn't started recording then. And so I don't know if I've preached this to you before, but this is what God just, just hit me in, in the pit of my stomach with. 
for the ending part of this service. And I'm, I'm almost done, but, but this is the crux of it all. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. If you've ever been in a communion service where we've taken communion, you've probably heard this passage read, but just in case you've not, I'm going to read all of these verses just so that you can understand where this is coming from. Jesus and the apostles were sitting down, and this is the setting of the Last Supper, the last time that he's going to sit down and eat with his 12 friends before he goes to the cross. And it says, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine if you knew you were going to have dinner with your friends and it was going to be the last time that you would ever see them here on this earth? It would be the last time you had a chance to sit down and eat with them. And these are your 12 closest friends in the world. That's why he said, with desire have I desired. This is the last time I'm going to get to see y'all in this manner and be able to do this with you. After this, whenever I see you, I'm going to be glorified. It's not going to be the same type of relationship. But for right here and right now, you're my best friends. Verse 17, and he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. In the words, all of y'all drink. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. It's a long time to not drink anything. It was 2,000 years ago. The kingdom of God hadn't come quite yet because he hadn't blown the trumpet. If you think your fast is bad. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And likewise also the cup after supper saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. And if you've ever been in a communion service, that might be a familiar passage. It's one that we use all the time whenever we're doing communion. And this is it. This is the Last Supper. It's the last time that Jesus gets to sit down and break bread and have conversation with his followers and with his friends. After this, he goes back to glory in physical form and returns as the Holy Ghost, but no more to do this kind of intimate setting until he receives us up into heaven. And thus, verse 15... He looked and he longed to have one last time of fellowship with them before he began the excruciating pain that would come next. The bread he used to represent his body, which would be broken, not just his physical body, but the church afterwards would be broken and scattered from Jerusalem all over the world and it would ignite revival that would spread throughout the world but the body or the physical church itself could not spread the gospel just being in one place 
just like his plan couldn't be fulfilled if he, Jesus, as God manifested in the flesh, stayed there. His body had to be broken so that his spirit could then proceed out into all the world and the church had to be broken at Jerusalem and be spread out for the gospel to spread throughout the world. The cup he used to represent his blood physically poured out on Calvary from the wounds on his back, from the nails, from the thorns, from the spear. Spiritually, that blood would be poured out for all of mankind and provide the blood sacrifice of atonement that would purchase our forgiveness. And he wanted to drive home the point of what was about to happen was much more important than just a singular place and an event in time to be remembered and then passed by. He said to them, revisit this, remember this, which makes me think, why? Why? He knew that Calvary would have an effect on them. He knew what that effect would be and the resulting salvation that it would bring. He knew the message that he had prepared for Peter that we have as Acts 2.38 that would propel the gospel into generations to come. But why this? Why here at this table in this setting? Why remember this? What was the point of that? It had no part in the plan of salvation. It had no part in the Beatitudes or any of his other teachings. Yet it was important enough for him to tell them and for them to write down for us to do this and remember. And I don't pretend to know the whole mind of God or his reasoning. But I believe he has put this nugget in my heart to give to you today. At this point in time, these are the 12 closest of his followers. However, Acts chapter 10 and 34, again, Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. They weren't more important than we are. He loved them just as much. Yet Jesus only got to sit down with those 12 and this is the last moment of intimacy that he had longed for. And there would be many, many more than just those 12 filled with his spirit not many days hence. The phrase, in remembrance. In the Greek, it is eis anamnesis. See, that preposition, eis, here's your grammar lesson. Eis anamnesis in remembrance the preposition ice we have as in i n is the greek word ice is a primary preposition and here we have it translated as the word in but it can also be translated as for as an intent or purpose so then it could also read for remembrance do this for remembrance and then of me. It's interesting here in the Greek, the word of is not there. There is no word translated as of from the Greek. It is an assumed word because the word me is the word emos, which is an oblique case of the word ego, which means I, me, or mine. So it can mean of me 
or it can be mine, my own. Ice and amnesis emos. So the phrase could be interpreted not just in remembrance of me, but also in for remembrance mine, or in our modern phrasing, for my own remembrance. Do this for me to remember. Jesus could be saying, you do this for my own remembrance because he now lives inside of you. And he now lives inside of me. And that day he only got to sit down with 12. But now we all have a seat at the table. Millions sit at the table. And every time we go through communion, he gets to sit down at the table with me. And I have a seat at that same table. Not just Peter and James and John, but Keith and Mason. We get to sit at the table. And today you have a seat and I have a seat. And remember before you say, but wait, I don't even deserve a seat at the table. I don't either. Neither did they. And remember that Judas was at that table. He could have had this intimate setting with just the 11 after he was betrayed. And he knew Judas was going to betray him. He even called him the son of perdition. And Judas still was at the table. He still handed the cup to Judas. He still handed the bread to Judas. So before you think any part of your past or your present disqualifies you, Judas had a seat at the table and he wanted, he chose to have Judas at the table. And he wants you at the table. He counts you worthy to be part of this with him. He wants you to be his friend. Not just that we get to be called the friend of God, but he desires to call you his friend. Luke twenty-two nineteen in the Disciples' Literal New Testament translation. It's an obscure translation, but it says, And having taken bread and having given thanks, he broke it and gave to them, saying, This is my body, the one being given for you. Be doing this for my remembrance. I want to remember this, but not just with the twelve. I want to remember this with you. Brother Pat has gone on into glory. And Brother Bruce has already told you the story, the first service we had after Brother Pat's funeral. Brother Pat took communion at home every day. And we've done communion recently, so I didn't plan on doing it today. But I want each one of you, each family in this church, this evening, I want you to go home and I want you to find some crackers or some pieces of bread, find some juice or some water, something simple. I'm not even going to do it with coffee, Just juice or water. But I want you to gather your family around this evening. And I want you to read Luke 22 to your kids. And you... And your kids, whoever's there in the house with you, I want y'all to take communion this evening.
in your house, at your table, with God there with you. And let him remember what it was like, but now with you and not just with him. Not that I'm advocating that you take communion every day, but I feel this in my spirit. Because God wants to remind somebody that no matter what you're going through, I am your friend and I am in this with you. I'm not just your God that you can pray to and that I can answer. I am standing with you and I have my arm around you. And you have a seat at my table. And I want a seat at your table. Revelation twenty two seventeen again. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Two hundred years ago, there was a man named Albert Barnes who was inspired by God to write a commentary on every single verse in the entire Bible. And that commentary was 14 volumes long. And it's now part of the public domain, so you can get a copy of it electronically with almost any Bible app. If you look under commentaries and you see Albert Barnes' notes on the Bible, that was the work and the ministry of this man that God put into his spirit to do this. Literally every single verse in the Bible has a commentary penned by his hand, published in the 1830s. And on Revelation 22 and 17, he says, The Spirit and the Bride both say come. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit because He entreats all to come. And this He does, A, in all of the recorded invitations in the Bible. For it is by inspiration of that Spirit that these invitations are recorded. Everything that the Bible says is by invitation and and inspiration of the Spirit by all of His influences on our understandings, on our consciousness, on our hearts of all the people that will ever hear the Word, and by all the proclamations of mercy made by the preaching of the Gospel and by the appeal which friend makes to friend and neighbor makes to neighbor and even stranger to stranger. For all these methods are methods in which the Spirit invites people to come to the Savior. And the bride says come. The bride is the church. That is, the church invites all to come and be saved. This does A, by its ministers who, whose main business it is to extend these invitations to mankind be by the ordinances constantly setting forth the freeness of the gospel see by the lives of its consistent members showing the excellency and the desirableness of true religion and salvation D, by all of its efforts to do good in the world. E, by the example of those who brought into the church, showing that all, who, whatever may have been their former character, can be saved. And F, by the direct appeals of its individual ministers. They say, come. And let hear him that heareth say, come. Whoever hears the gospel, let him go and invite others to come, regardless of whether he has yet accepted salvation. 
And let him that is a thirst come, whoever desires salvation, as the weary pilgrim desires a cooling fountain to apply to his thirst, let him come and drink freely of the gospel as a thirsty man would stoop down to a fountain and drink. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Everyone that is disposed to come that has any sincere wish to be saved is assured that he or she may have life. No matter how unworthy he is, no matter how what his past life has been, no matter how old or how young, how rich or how poor, no matter whether sick or well, a free man or a slave, no matter whether educated or ignorant, no matter whether clothed in purple or in rags, riding in state or laid at the grave, of a rich man full of sores. The invitation is freely made to all to come and be saved and to be a friend of God. And with what more appropriate truth could a revelation from heaven be closed than this? Come. All come. This morning, the way that I want to end this service you would all stand. Sister Michael is going to play a song here in just a minute called Sons and Daughters because that's what we are. And there's not a single parent in here that doesn't love their children. There's not a single parent in here that wants to just give orders to their children and have those orders obeyed. Sometimes that is what you have to do. But that's not the kind of relationship that we desire with our children. We want a desire, a relationship of reciprocal love. We want to love them and be loved in return. And so this morning to close this service, I want you to come... And if you've got family here, I'd like for you to group up as families. If you don't have family here, that's fine. I still want you to come because the invitation is just come. But if you are comfortable with it, I'd like for all of us to come around the altar and hold your loved ones close. And I want the elders of that group to pray a blessing over that family. That God would move amongst us and remind us that we are His friends. I want you to pray that whatever's going on in their lives, whatever storms that they are facing, I want you to pray that the God of heaven who is our friend will wrap His arms around them and shelter them and protect them and hold them. The Spirit this morning is saying, come, not just for salvation, but come so I can wrap my arms around you and let you know that I love you. Whether you talk to me every day or whether you haven't talked to me in years, I still love you. The Spirit says, come. And so as they play the music, these altars are open for you to come and allow God to wrap His arms around you and show you how much that He loves you.